broadcasting to you from the Blanket Fort. The word from the Blanket Fort today is nice and cold, snowy cold. It's wonderful, and we're expecting to go sledding this weekend, and I'm looking forward to it myself. Geocaching is a sort of rarefied sport hobby in which you look for tiny treasures and familiar pathways. Um, sometimes they're in the mountains, sometimes they're in the ocean, sometimes we're in the middle of the city. I've found them in a lot of places. And you find this geocache that you usually look up on an app or on a map or even sometimes in good old word of mouth. You find this geocache and it's like a little treasure hunt. There's never anything real valuable in a geocache, just a logbook of who found it, maybe some trinkets, maybe some toys. There's sometimes toys that you're supposed to take from that geocache to another geocache and that kind of thing. It's a lot of fun. Um, and it's a way of putting a treasure hunting back into just every day and into a world that's kind of overexplored in a way. This to me kind of hits me as a great metaphor for what it means to read scripture at this point in my life. Um, when I've been through seminary, when I've been in ministry, when I've spent so much time in the Bible growing up and everything else, I, I think I could say the books of the Bible before I could count to ten, um, that it becomes a little over-familiar, almost over-explored, which is not the Bible's fault, it's my fault, and I need to look back at it and see its dimensions. So these little, little geocaches, I call them, but little facts of language, uh, historical situation, cultural background, interpretation, theological insight that have helped me to see Scripture three-dimensionally again and put the treasure hunting back in it for me. And I got another one for you here, so let's just do it. That's Josh McDonald, not Josh McDowell. Um, I have disappointed a lot of people who um, hear my name and then they think, oh, yeah, you wrote all those books. And I'm like, yes, I did. I started writing them when I was two and uh, have kept writing them ever since. I think Josh McDowell's in his 70s. Um, so anyway, I am not Josh McDowell. So sorry to disappoint you. You can go ahead and stop listening if you want. If you're still with me, I'm, I'm flattered. So here we are. And let's crack our Bibles open to Mark chapter 6. Mark 6, verse 46. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Jesus walking on water. This is a very familiar story, a traditional story. There's a lot of Zondervan art based on it. There's uh, Sometimes it's like you're laying at the bottom of a pool and somebody's reaching down to you. There's a hand that kind of comes in. Yeah, it's kind of exciting um, story of Jesus that appears in three of the Gospels and is extremely well known. Now, the $40 Bible study word for that is a pericope, a pericope, which is a small story. And the stories in the gospel are made up of pericopes. So you have the pericope of Jesus healing the man born blind, the pericope of Jesus healing the woman born with the issue of blood, and, and all these other things that are pericopes, stories. And it is not, as I have pronounced it, pericope or perkiop. Pericope. So that's fun. The reason I bring that up is because this is an interesting pericope. So 
what happens with pericopes in scripture is is for those who um you know want to do away with the supernatural element and scrub it out of there they take their pericopes and they sort of turn them on their heads so they say that the miracle of uh, Jesus feeding the 5,000 was really a miracle of sharing between people. That's what that pericope is about. And the miracle of Jesus restoring a leper is really a, a miracle of him restoring someone to the community. It's just a metaphor. He didn't actually, you know, heal somebody's skin disease or anything like that. That, of course, is nonsense. And um, that's why it's important to know words like pericope so you can say them and, and sound very important. Um, it's interesting, too, that this pericope of Jesus walking on the water appears everywhere. It's part of the oldest literature we have. And there really is no metaphorical way to explain it. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm a little baffled as to, you know, hey, maybe that one could be sharing. Maybe the leper thing could be restoring somebody to the community or Jesus healing the woman with the issue of blood. It'd be about community restoration and opening people's minds and all these other wonderful metaphors that are a little easier to believe than corpuscles and amino acids and cells restitching themselves. But the pericope of Jesus walking on water is very, very hard to say, what's that a metaphor for? Sorry, that's hard to explain away. You can't make it go away. And every time it appears, it appears connected with the feeding of the 5,000. So if you're following me, uh, the feeding of the 5,000 is something that maybe people try to explain away as a miracle of sharing or a metaphor for sharing. But then it's always followed by this pericope that's not a metaphor for anything. If you can figure out what it's a metaphor for, fine. Whatever, you know, spins your beanie. But I can't, for the life of me, figure that out. But... We have to look at other geocaches in this. Anyway, I'll get off that particular soapbox. One of the important atmospheric things to know here is the view of water in the first century. Water at that time, the sea especially, was dangerous. There was something mysterious, deep, dark, chaotic about water. And water was something only God had purvey over. Only God could do anything with water. No other people had power over it. You were just simply sort of beholden to it. You think of the the fishermen that Jesus dealt with. They they often sort of trafficked in superstitions and other ideas about water because water was so powerful and so dangerous and so scary. You get to look at Revelation 21, where St. John talks about the visions of the new heaven and the new earth. And in that vision, he says, there is no more sea which is very interesting. There is no more sea. So the water is gone from the new heavens and the new earth. Now, I don't think that literally means that there's no ocean, but I do think that we have to look at what that language would be about, and it is probably about the fact that there is no more chaos. There is no more lethal, frightening forces at work in the universe when the new heavens and the new earth are made and Christ is on his throne and all is ordered by him as king. So that's important. But So it's important to know they are at the sea. They are at the mercy of the sea. There is a storm at the sea. And it is absolutely terrifying. And then, of course, a person appears walking along it. You're already scared. You already think... Great supernatural forces are at work. 
And then one of your buddies comes walking towards you. And the first thing you think is what anyone would think is that is a ghost or some kind of poltergeist that's after me. He saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them, and about the fourth watch of the night he came to them, walking on the sea. Walking on the sea, and he made to pass by them. Now, there's another geocache right there. We have to stop at that phrase in Mark 6.48. He made to pass by them is the exact phrase that is used in Exodus 33 to describe God walking past Moses. God walking past Moses. The exact phrase, and this happens a lot, these are some of these fun geocaches where the biblical authors picked up phrases from the Old Testament, almost like a wink to say, this is who we're talking about here. This is not just another prophet. This is not just another wonder worker. This is an entirely different person than there has ever been. And then Jesus comes close, and it, the different Gospels render it in different ways, but he comes close and he says at one point, Do not be afraid, which is of course how the angel of the Lord and the presence of God is introduced all through the Old Testament. Do not be afraid is the first thing he says. The angel comes to Mary, do not be afraid, etc., etc. Do not be afraid. I am. It is I. And this, of course, is another I am statement. When Moses said, Who shall I tell sent me? Say that I am has sent you. Do not be afraid. I am. He made as if to pass them by. There's this language here that says over and over this person you're dealing with is God. Is God. This is God come down among you. And the only person that can control water is God, and that's because that's who Jesus is. And there's some obvious pastoral metaphors I can bring in here, and I can't help myself. Sometimes you're in the storm. And strange things are happening. And you don't know until Jesus is right there with you that it's him coming out to you, saying, do not be afraid. I am. Do not be afraid. I am. I am still in charge. I still love you. And even the most baffling and frightening force in the universe is under my control. And that, my friends, is geocaching scripture. Tiny treasures in the big truth. Axiomatic. Cheers.